0: Player Profiler Posse, we are back for another edition of the First Mover. We're going to switch things up a little bit this week because the NFL, in their almighty power, has given us a unique three-game Saturday slate. So like we did during Thanksgiving week, we're going to take some time and dissect that three-gamer for Saturday. So stick around and hear the top plays here on First Mover. So the reason why I wanted to switch things up a little bit is because these short slates are notoriously some of the highest EV slates that we can find. We saw some fireworks happen on Monday. That two gamer this week, um, member of one week season, which is place where I work at, shipped a solo 500K. So congrats to him, shouts there. Uh, but these slates are some of the most plus EV slates that we can find in this current landscape of DFS. So we're going to spend some time taking a look at the Saturday slate. So let's dive right in. As always, with it being the holiday season, we're going to keep this to a half hour to give you guys the most actionable intel that we can um, in the most digestible fashion that we can. So taking a look at this slate real quick. It's very interesting to me to see that the Minnesota Vikings and the Cincinnati Bengals are the lowest game total on the slate. Now, we know that this Minnesota Vikings defense has been a different animal since week four. You look back, this defense, since week four, they are allowing the lowest points per drive in the entire uh, league. So that's very likely what is holding this game total down. The other side of that is we also have some quarterback controversy. I don't know what you wanted to call it, but there's some uncertainty regarding the quarterback um, position in Minnesota. Obviously, Joshua Dobbs was replaced by Nick Mullins at the end of their last game. Um, and <laughs> He led them to victory. I don't know, dude. They won three to zero. Uh, Nick Mullins led the only scoring drive with four minutes left in the game. Um, they go down the field, uh, kick a field goal and get the, the gnarly, awesome three to zero victory. So, That notwithstanding, this Cincinnati Bengals team is a team that can play to extremes. And what I mean by that is this. They have the pieces in the offensive coach, the offensive mind in Zach Taylor to really push game environments. They also have a defensive coordinator in Lou Anarumo that is capable of playing to these slugfest type games. So this game carries the widest range of outcomes of all the game, all the three games on this Saturday slate. And it's very interesting to me if the field is going to largely overlook this spot. I think it could be an interesting spot to take an overweight stance because we do get this kind of wide range of outcomes here. We also have injury uncertainty with Justin Jefferson. Came back after that long layoff with the hamstring injury to play just over a quarter and a half before leaving with a ribs injury. He took a gnarly hit um, over the middle, full stretch basically shoulder pads right to the midsection. Um, that, that one's on Josh Dobbs, man. But anyway, we move on. That we also have some interesting dynamics with Minnesota in that TJ Hawkinson is very clearly the path of least resistance against this Cincinnati Bengals team. We talked about Lou Anaruma. What is he doing? He's playing a high rate of cover two, cover three, and quarters. And typically what we're seeing is those defensive tendencies tend to filter additional production to the intermediate middle of the field, and they are now dead last in the league in fantasy points allowed to the tight end position, and they have really struggled with inline tight ends. They're a little bit better schematically um, defending tight ends out of the slot, but you look at inline tight ends, they have absolutely dominated the Bengals here. Why that is important is because we know that Joshua Dobbs loves targeting TJ Hawkinson, and we saw that Nick Mullins' nest doesn't necessarily. So again, a lot of moving pieces there, a lot of uncertainty with the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, we know Jake Browning is under center for the Bengals um, and has been kind of hit or miss whether or not Jamar Chase is the primary focal point of their offensive game plan. Two weeks ago, we saw Jamar Chase emphasized early. We know this unit is trying to adopt more of a get-the-ball-out-quick mindset. We saw him, I mean, his first three catches two weeks ago went for three yards. um, And then once they had the defense coming down to uh, stop the short area work is when they started attacking downfield. That didn't necessarily play out the same way last week. So again, another wide range of outcomes potential here. Moving on to the next game, the Pittsburgh Steelers. We know that Kenny Pickett has already been ruled out. So we should see old trusty and trusty in a bad way, I guess. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky under center for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We know the identity of this Pittsburgh Steelers team. We also have J.J. Watt, who um, missed a lot of the last game uh, with an injury of his own. So um, he self-reported some concussion symptoms. So we are uncertain as far as their top player on defense as well. Moving over to the Indianapolis Colts. More uncertainty. We have um, Jonathan Taylor, who is looking to come back from his injury. We've seen Zach Moss over the last three weeks kind of be well, two and two weeks as the starter. And then Jonathan Taylor got injured in that first game uh, three games ago, uh, got injured early. So Zach Moss handled most of the work in that one as well. We've seen him as in Zach Moss be mega chalk for two main slates in a row and fail to return that top end production. That said, this is a dude who is still seeing. I mean, we can with a f- fairly high degree of certainty bank on 20 plus running back opportunities for Mr. Zach Moss if Jonathan Taylor is out. So, but back to the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is a team that is very clearly and we have a good idea because we have a fairly large sample size under head coach Mike Tomlin that they want to shorten games and win dirty in the fourth quarter. That is even more pronounced now with Big Ben Roethlisberger out of town, having retired and under Kenny Pickett. This team's identity definitely starts with their defense and they are going to try and win dirty. So it is also interesting to me, this game total being 42 points because we have kind of two competing mentalities as far as the dynamics of these two teams. The Pittsburgh Steelers want to win dirty. The Indianapolis Colts are one of the most malleable and able to adjust offenses in the league. We've seen it time and time again with Shane Steichen. He is able to take a look at what's working in the first one or two drives and adjust his offensive game plan from there. They also play with pace and they also lead the league in cover three on defense, which is one of the more prevent style defenses that there are in the league, what that allows is it hides a lot of talent deficiencies um, on the defensive side of the ball. It forces teams to march the field, and now you get more opportunities to generate these disruptive plays um, because the strength of their defense very much is their front four and their linebacking core. So those two tendencies. As far as, like, how do we expect these teams to attack this spot? Pittsburgh, we especially with Mitchell Trubisky under center, we can expect them to be a little bit more reserved. We can expect them to basically have their defense keep them in the game and have their offense not lose the game for them. The Colts are going to go out there and attempt to score points on every drive. So very, very different tendencies on offense. That said this like the cover 3 heavy and when i say heavy cover 3 they're in cover 3 over 60% of the time typically the nfl average for zone coverage this season is a tick under 80% so that means that like just looking at if comparing them to nfl average over 3 quarters of their snaps in zone are coming from cover 3 obviously we know that to be a little bit more with this team cuz they are in zone at increased rates but that typically leads to a clearer path to production on the field to an opposing offense's primary target because cover three kind of leads to a lot of first read targets. It also leads to the opportunity for some chunk runs um, because the linebackers in cover three are charged with more than a standard like cover two shell uh, different than Tampa two, where those linebackers are charged with dropping back in coverage, but we digress. So that's kind of the setup for the game number two. Game number three, this Denver Broncos team and this Detroit Lions team. Now, we know the Denver Broncos started the season off in a historically bad way as far as points allowed. We get it. But since about week five, this Denver Broncos team is playing much better football on the defensive side of the ball. On the other side of this game, we have a Detroit Lions team who I like to describe them, their current state of their team at this point in the season, as they feel like they need to outscore their opponents. It, that might be like obvious, like duh, you have to outscore your opponents to win a football game. But this team, if we look at their last five games, five games in a row now, their games that the Detroit Lions have been involved in over the last five weeks have averaged. 57.8 points scored per game with the lowest being their last game against Chicago in that upset loss where they managed only 13 points. So this team very clearly is struggling on the defensive side of the ball. They are more or less a pass funnel type defense. They are giving up a relatively high a dot. So we know that they are kind of struggling on the defensive side of the ball and how they are trying to win games now. And up until last week, they were nine and three, now nine and four. They are trying to win football games knowing that they have to outscore their opponent. So that's very interesting when we look at games involving the Detroit Lions saying we know that they kind of have to keep their foot on the gas and remain aggressive. The problem with that is. Even over the last five weeks where their games have averaged almost 58 points scored per game, which is massive in today's current landscape of the league, we've only had three GPP viable scores emerge from this Detroit Lions team. Once Jamar or Jameer Gibbs um, in the first game in that stretch, once by Amon Ross St. Brown, where he put up 100 yards and a score, and once by Sam Laporta in his best game of his rookie season. So while this team is scoring a lot of points and while they are allowing a lot of points on the scoreboard, it's a little bit more difficult to dissect their offense because Amon Ross St. Brown, one of the most consistent wide receivers in the league, probably second behind only Tyreek Hill, but he has only two games all season, putting up a hundred yards and a score in the same game. He has put up a hundred yards or scored a touchdown in all but two games this year But that elite level production is largely lacking for Amon Ross St. Brown. Similar discussion to the backfield. We know that the Lions have extreme red zone rush rates, even more extreme green zone rush rates. So inside the 10 yard line, but it's a split backfield and both Jameer Gibbs and Dave Montgomery are priced up a good bit on the slate. So there's a lot to unpack there. Yes. Sam Laporta. Awesome dude. Great rookie, having an, uh, an outlier type rookie season. He still only has like two or three, maybe two and a half GPP viable scores. Now, all of that kind of goes out the window, not out the window, but is less important to us on a three-game slate. Let's talk about our general strategy on a three-game slate. And this slate is unique, and it's very similar to the Thanksgiving slate in the sense that we get more information with each game played. Because these games are in sequence. They're played sequentially. None of these games are played at the same time. So how do we approach that when we're constructing rosters? Really, the only thing that matters to us when we're constructing rosters on this slate is how close to optimal were we on our rosters for the first game? Because we get more information. We can see who was the optimal combination of players, if any, from the first game, and then base our follow-on decisions off of that. So that's very different than a game where uh, or a slate where all the games are running concurrently where you don't get as much additional information for your follow on decisions on a main slate. The only thing we get is what happened in the morning and then let's adjust for the afternoon games. We get two different iterations of that on this slate. And when we talk about theoretics and what we need to be playing for and shooting for when we're constructing our rosters. We have to take into account the size of the slate and how many games are on the slate to base our decisions because from a theoretical perspective, the smaller the slate, so the fewer games are being played on a slate, the closer to true optimal we are going to need to be to ship GPPs. Go to the extremes. A, lar- a full 13-game NFL slate, which we're going to get next week, a full 13-game um, NFL slate, there has been zero optimal rosters in the history of dfs zero nobody has put together an optimal roster extremely mathematically difficult to do considering the combination of players that we have in this combinatorial game which is borderline infinite potential possibilities on a the other end of the spectrum on a showdown slate you need optimal to win those because it's a one game slate you have to get the optimal roster at a very high frequency. It's not 100%. It's very, very close. So, understanding that on a three game slate, we are going to need to be closer to actual optimal in order to ship. The interesting aspect of that is here that we get more information with each game played. How close to optimal was I from game number one? That doesn't mean like how close to the top of the leaderboard I was, because the jabronis that throw in their entire roster from game number one are going to be at the top of the leaderboard. That means how close to projected optimal were my players that I had from that game? Say, for example, we have we have TJ Hawkinson who um, we know the matchup is good. Say he puts up a 30 burger. He is going to be the optimal tight end on the slate. It's very, very likely. The only other player really on the slate at tight end that can match his production would be Sam Laporta. So if I played TJ Hawkinson, And he puts up a 30-burger from game number one. I know now that I can base my fall on decisions off of that. If I did not have TJ Hawkinson in my roster and TJ Hawkinson puts up a 30-burger, who is the only other tight end on the slate that can match or exceed his production? Probably Sam Laporta. So that would be, I'm shifting things around and I am almost certainly playing Sam Laporta. And even then there's probably rosters that have both TJ Hawkinson and Sam Laporta in them because of their prices. So that theoretical discussion kind of comes into play a little bit more on this slate. So with that, let's jump into the slate itself and pull this bad boy up right quick. All right, looking at DK and we've got their big contest pulled up for that three gamer. This is a 500K to first place $20 entry. So your standard like millimaker Maker type setup, 88,000 entries. We know that we're going to need to be optimal or as close to optimal as possible. So looking at this first game, again, we're going to take it game by game. We're only going to take 15 minutes here. So five minutes per game. We talked a lot about the overall macro of this spot. Talked about how it has the lowest game total on this slate. We talked about all the uncertainty associated with this spot. Is Joshua Dobbs going to start? Is Nick Mullins going to start? How healthy is Justin Jefferson? Alexander Madison is now popping up on the injury report. So he's got a sprained ankle. So depending on the severity, we could see Alexander Madison out. Does that introduce Ty Chandler? who has now been priced up to 5,300. There's a lot of uncertainty with this spot. But the way that I look at uncertainty is with uncertainty comes opportunity. We just talked about how Minnesota's defense has been playing at an elite level since about week four. We just talked about how Cincinnati Bengals, they are one of the most, um, adaptable offenses in the league under Zach Taylor, but we know that they're a little bit hamstrung here with Joe Burrow out and um, Jake Browning starting at quarterback. We've seen the good and the bad here with Jake Browning. Last week, only 24 pass attempts in that easy victory against Indianapolis Colts. He added that rushing touchdown and he's actually had rushing touchdowns in back-to-back games, which is awesome for us. Um, Other Interesting spots here. Joe Mixon obviously has had two good games in a row. What is most interesting to me from Joe Mixon is he is a part of that short passing attack here for the Bengals that they are now adapting under um, with Jake Browning under center. So 19 carries, 21 carries, seven targets, four targets. So he's seen 26 and 25 running back opportunities in back-to-back weeks. This is a good thing. The problem, the matchup is not good. So we're going to need that that pass game production. We're going to need that red zone production that has now been here in consecutive weeks. I mean, he has eight touchdowns on the season, three of which have come in the last two weeks. So we're going to need that here from Joe Mixon. But he is very much in consideration for us. We talked about Ty Chandler. Going back to the quarterbacks, I think both of these quarterbacks are viable on this slate, in all honesty. Whether or I guess all three, whether it's Josh Dobbs or Nick Mullins, we just still don't know, um, or Jake Browning. All those guys are viable. Now, over to Justin Jefferson, who's very interesting. Let me pull up the rest of the wide receivers here. There's really, at the top end, we're looking at Justin Jefferson. We're looking at Amon Ross St. Brown. I kind of just poo-pooed on him a little bit, but we're looking at Amon Ross St. Brown, and we're looking at Jamar Chase. The most interesting aspect of this game is that two of the three elite wide receivers on this slate play each other in the first game. So again, that gives us a ton of information as far as where our rosters sit compared to the field. We also, we talked about the fact that TJ Hawkinson, Sam Laporta are the only top end tight ends that realistically have 30 plus fantasy points within their range of outcomes. And both of them are in some pretty solid spots here. So that is the primary emphasis for me from this game is how did Justin Jefferson do? How did Jamar Chase do? And how did TJ Hawkinson do? Because those three players are going to influence the rest of the slate more than any other player. Say, for example, we don't play either Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase on our rosters and both of them flop. What now am I thinking about as we approach and look at the rest of the slate? Well, now, like we talked about, Amon Ross St. Brown becomes a little bit more interesting piece. He's likely going to be the lowest owned of the three coming off of that 5.1 point clunker. Actually, on that note, Jamar Chase is coming off a a mega clunker as well at only 5.9 points. Uh, But we know that these guys carry the upside and that's that's all we're worried about here. So that is the most interesting aspect from this game. Number one is how did Jamar Chase do? How did Justin Jefferson do? And how did TJ Hawkinson do? Very clearly, we can play all of them on our rosters. We can play none of them on our rosters, but we need to reassess how those three players did to identify where we're going next. Bring up Pittsburgh Steelers and the Indianapolis Colts. We know we're getting Mitch Trubisky against Gardner Minshew. We know Gardner Minshew has been extremely hit or miss. We know that his top performance of the season came way back in week seven against Cleveland Browns, of all people. Uh, We know that he hit that 80-yard touchdown to Michael Pittman to inflate those numbers. We know that he scored two rushing scores, his only two. Um, Nope, he added one uh, three weeks ago as well against Tampa. So Gardner Minshew and Mitch Trubisky, two of the lower-priced. Actually, we don't have a ton of price-up options at quarterback on the slate but we know um, each of them carries theoretical upside more so Gardner Minshew than Mitchell Trubisky. But Mitchell Trubisky is interesting to me for the fact of what he does to these pass catchers. Deontay Johnson has near 30% targets per route run and team target market share with Mitch Trubisky under center over the time that they have shared in Pittsburgh. So Yes, he only saw seven targets last week. He only caught three of them for 57 yards, but he scored again against a difficult opponent in the New England Patriots. And one thing, interesting thing that I also didn't talk about about the first game, uh, actually, all of these games carry some fairly significant playoff implications. Minnesota's at six and seven. Um, The Cincinnati Bengals are fighting for their playoff lives. We've got Pittsburgh who fell to, uh, who's falling in the AFC uh, after their loss last week, we have the Indianapolis Colts who are right there at the cusp of the playoff picture. We have Denver who's surging in the AFC. We know that they've uh, rattled off for of their last six. I think were are wins. Um, and then Detroit, we know we're fighting for uh, the potential to get the top spot out of the NFC um, faltering in that loss last week. So all three of these games carry playoff implications. What that means when we get to this point of the season is typically those games that widens their range of outcomes because we get two potential additional outcomes really when you're comparing to teams that are not in the playoff hunt or t- earlier in the season where the playoff hunt isn't a thing yet. You get desperation and you get basically uh, teams that will play a little bit more scared because they don't want to lose uh, the game themselves and fall out of contention. So those are two additional potential outcomes in a game's overall range of outcomes that aren't really present at other points in the season. So all of these games, all of these teams on the slate being in playoff contention at this point in the season, it adds to the widening of the ranges of outcomes of their particular games. So we could see slugfest as we saw last week with Minnesota. We could see some absolute eruptions as we've seen with the Indianapolis Colts of late. So to keep that in mind, um, (laughs) it's fairly high degree of certainty that the Colts are going to try and win their game and the Steelers are going to try not to lose their game, but we digress. So obviously there's some uncertainty here. We have Jonathan Taylor with the doubtful tag. We're likely going to get another game of Zach Moss as the lead back. We look at this man, 22 running back opportunities, 21 running back opportunities. So we talked about um, Joe Mixon in that same vein, extreme, extreme, high likelihood of some solid opportunities here. Zach Moss is the same. And I'm not sure, honestly, this is the first time I'm digging into this slate. I'm not sure where the field is going to land on that. Because Zach Moss very clearly has elite workload, but he's put up back-to-back games of single-digit fantasy points. Um, Getting a Pittsburgh run defense who could be without J.J. Watt, um, who has been... Um, rather hit or miss this season, as far as allowing production against on the other side, the running backs, obviously we know, um, Jalen Warren and Najee Harris, whoever is the starter, they keep flip-flopping who the starter is, but they're seeing about equivalent, um, opportunities here. We know Najee is the player more likely to see the goal line touches. We know Jalen Warren is more likely to see the pass game work. So it, it offsets fairly evenly for these two. Either of them could pop in a touchdown or two, catch a bunch of passes um, and be optimal on this slate. As far as wide receivers, we talked about Deontay Johnson with Mitchell Trubisky. Michael Pittman has been just quietly doing his thing. One of the most consistent fantasy producers, probably in the same vein as Amon Ross St. Brown. He has one game all season of single digit fantasy points. But you look at this, he has one game of 30 plus fantasy points coming two weeks ago against Tennessee. We look at his recent volume as this team is entering their desperation mode, trying to cling on to a playoff spot, 11 or more targets in four straight games. That is elite, my friends. In the same vein, he only has four touchdowns on the season, so he's not this elite expectation, but on a three-game slate, highly likely uh, to enter the optimal discussion for us, kind of in the same vein as Amon Ross St. Brown. George Pickens, man, this dude, uh, if he can get out, and honestly, he and Deontay Johnson, man, if they can get out of their heads, they might be a little bit better on the football field. We digress. Um, Highly unlikely for George Pickens to see more than six or seven targets here. I mean, you look at his past, what, six games, six targets, five targets, five, six, four, five, five. This dude and these big target games were coming earlier in the season when Deontay Johnson was out. So highly unlikely to see more than five or six targets. That said, he does have the athletic profile, the route tree, uh, and the underlying metrics to do some significant damage on that. Less likely against cover three, in all honesty, because this is one of the more prevent style defenses. Sets up very well for Deontay Johnson. Sets up very well for potential for Pat Fryermuth, And it sets up very well for pass catching running backs, primarily Jalen Warren in this spot. Josh Downs, Alec Pierce, we've seen Alec Pierce's upside. We've been teased about it all season, but another guy, highly unlikely to see more than three to six targets, uh, but we know that he has a downfield role to capitalize on that. As far as Josh Downs, Josh Downs, through the middle of the season, weeks seven to 12, was starting to see a lot more emphasis in this offense, and he's really fallen off. Uh, since uh, over the last two weeks, really um, in his emphasis in this offense. And you look at his underlying metrics um, from week seven to week 12, he was about on par with uh, Michael Pittman in targets per route run against man coverage. Michael Pittman was the guy against zone, but Josh Downs was kind of another primary contributor in this offense that has changed over the last two weeks um, against Cincinnati and Tennessee two defenses that play heavy rates of zone coverage. We now get a Pittsburgh Steelers team who is around league average and man zone rates, uh, but we know that they will mix things up a little bit more. So potential viability there, but a lot more thin. Moving on to the last game of the slate, going a little bit long here, but moving on to this, we talked about Detroit Lions. They have to score more points than their opponent that immediately brings in Jared Goff into the discussion. I know he has not looked good of late, but Jared Goff is definitely in the discussion here. Um, High rate of recent games where he's throwing multiple touchdowns. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, what do we do with you, man? Russell Wilson, I will say right now that I am highly unlikely to play any Russell Wilson on this slate. This is a team that is living off of their defense recently. And we look at this 33 pass attempts, 26, 22, 35, 29, 19. So this is a guy that is highly unlikely to even see 32 to 35 pass attempts in the spot. That could change if the Lions get out to an early lead, but we know that that is much more unlikely due to the state of their defense. So yeah, Russell Wilson is a guy that I'm just not looking to play here. We talked about Jameer Gibbs. We talked about Dave Montgomery. Look at this big 30, green 32nd next to the name of uh, or next to their matchups. Yes, a lot of that has been influenced by their early season production allowed in Denver. And this is a split backfield, and these guys are priced up. But the two spots that the Denver Broncos have continued to struggle with is efficiency allowed to running backs, particularly pass catching running backs and tight ends, which just so happens to align with three of the four primary contributors to this Detroit offense, being Jameer Gibbs, Dave Montgomery, and Sam Laporta. On the other side, Javante Williams has seen some fairly significant workload of late. He is beyond his ACL easing him in stage, and he is into we're going to ride this dude stage. The matchup, that said, is non-ideal. But um, somebody getting that type of workload can obviously and very clearly be optimal in the spot. Cortland Sutton continues to score touchdowns. <laughs> this, dude, this dude is phenomenal, man. 10 touchdowns. He does not have a game with more than one touchdown. So that means this dude is scoring almost every time he touches the field. 10 touchdowns in 13 games played he has a touchdown in all but three games played. That is highly likely to matter in the spot. At only 6.4. Jerry Judy is an interesting case because we saw Sean Payton pretty blatantly call out Russell Wilson and say, like, I don't know, man, like Jerry Judy's been open. Russ has missed him. Uh <laughs> that's that was before their week 14 game. Well nothing came of that then, but we'll see what happens here. Uh very, very interesting. And my dude, Marvin Mims, always carries the upside with his talent to erupt. Um becomes more pertinent on a shorter slate. Because if this dude rips off 80 yards and a touchdown at only 3,200, he is probably entering the optimal discussion. That said, like if you were to do that on a main slate where there's 11, 12, 13 games less likely to be optimal, even putting up eight, 16 to 18 fantasy points, but 16 to 18 fantasy points at 3.2, in salary on a short slate, um, highly likely to be in the optimal discussion there. So has that within his range of outcomes, as far as wide receivers on the Detroit side, it is Amon Ross St. Brown and bust or bust, I guess. Um, I guess you can go to, J- Jameson Williams, um, has the same type of, of profile we'll say as Marvin Mims. Uh, This will probably come down to ownership for to me personally. Um, And it's very interesting that these two are both playing in the last game of the evening because we can mix and match between Marvin Mims and Javante Williams because they are priced within 200 bucks of each other. So that means we can assess over the first two games where we're at, look at ownership and base, base our decisions off of that. Tight end. We talked about Sam Laporta. Uh, We know that Greg Dulcich is still on IR, on pace to return before the end of the season. Not likely to happen this game. Adam Trotman is very minimally involved in this offense. Yeah, he scored touchdowns in two of the last three games, but have fun chasing those three targets. Uh, Just throwing a little shade there. Um, Trotman is not a guy I'm looking to play. Sam Laporta being the highest priced tight end on the slate over TJ Hawkinson is very interesting to me in the sense that I think that's just flat wrong. But we talked about these are the only two guys at tight end that really carry the elite kind of you had to have that piece or you're not winning anything on this slate. So that was a quick down and dirty of the Saturday slate. We talked about the macro perspective. We talked about the theoretics. And then we talked about each individual game. Um, I missed the (laughs) we're going to go get into the ad read real quick. So bear with me. (laughs)
1: DFS getting harder every year, but we're here to make it easier with the DFS Dominator. Because I know a lot of optimizers keep coming out. Oh, our optimizer. What about this optimizer? But that optimizer. Well, we have a cash game optimizer that leverages the projections from Dario, Billy, the award-winning projections at PlayerProfiler.com, and builds the best lineups for cash games that have both upside and stability. Because that's what you want. It's a couple clicks. Boom, boom, boom. You get the best possible lineup for your cash games. But for tournaments, traditional optimizers don't work. That's why we have a lineup genius, which takes you through the process of building lineups the way they should be built. Which quarterbacks you want to be overweight on, then building stacks, then setting runbacks, then optimizing, and generating up to 150 lineups that you can easily import into DraftKings, into FanDuel. That's the DFS Dominator. It's only $45 a year not not a week a a year a year just go to player profiler click on the dfs dominator from the menu and you won't be sorry
0: all right y'all welcome back that is going to do it for us for today Again, we explored the Saturday slate, that very unique slate coming up here on DraftKings. Still a hefty half a milli up top. So let's go hunt those top of the leaderboards and we will see you next time.
1: Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business.